Money FM 89.3. Best of your money. Money and me on your money. Only on Money FM 89.3. Good morning and welcome to Money and Me. There are 10 stocks listing in the US this week. The most prominent, according to the headlines that I'm seeing in the chattering market, seems to be Coinbase, the cryptocurrency platform listing shares directly on NASDAQ. It's at a reference price of 250 US dollars per share for the stock. That price, though, is a lot less than the price at which Coinbase was valued last month. Coinbase's business, though, has surged along with Bitcoin prices. So how will Coinbase perform when it goes public tonight? Night, giving us uh, his take on the issue. Jack Cousy, founder and director of the VFS Group. How are you, Jack? Good morning. Good morning, Michelle. I am very happy and very um, happy to be on. I hope you're well. I hope everybody else is out there well. And there's a lot happening as always. So yeah. Looking forward to our chat. It, always terrific to get your insights, Jack. So maybe we should call you tomorrow as well and ask you, you know, what do you think of Coinbase performance uh, after it goes public tonight? But ahead of that, uh, the company valuation north of $100 billion, which means it would be valued more than NASDAQ, which has a market cap of 25 Nine billion, probably more than the Intercontinental Exchange as well, valued at about sixty-six point nine billion. We did see Bitcoin rising to record levels ahead of this direct listing of the crypto exchange last night. Bitcoin hitting a record of sixty-two thousand dollars, extending its twenty twenty-one rally to new highs. So, what do you think, Jack? Could Coinbase be the hot stock for twenty twenty-one? So, just to give you an insight, we had an investment committee meeting this morning, mm. and it usually runs for about. 20 minutes. Uh, this one ran for about an hour and 40 minutes of it was based on Coinbase, on whether we should buy the stock tonight for our clients, you know, take really? a 3% allocation. Um, and there's a couple of reasons why. I mean, we don't have much access to cryptocurrency for clients. Bitcoin's mm. still unregulated down here in Australia like it is in most places of the world. It doesn't fit into a, you know, a stock portfolio per se. So this is a historical night for cryptocurrency in the blockchain because it's the first, you know, major cryptocurrency type of asset or business that's actually IPOing. Now we talk about valuation. So at a $250 reference point, which is what they've given us, now who knows where this thing's going to open because this is a direct listing, so it kind of gives, um, you know, shareholders or employees an avenue to get out. We don't know where it's going to open, but the discussion was where will it open and, and could it rally 100 or 120% and what are our valuations? Now, 1.8 billion revenue is not bad. And when you do that, you know, in a multiple, it does look quite cheap at a $65 billion valuation. So I think it's a great company. I think it's in a great space that's growing all the time. My only issue at the moment, and this is probably not a this year issue or a next year issue, mm-hmm. is as more competition comes in place. When we look at online brokerage like as, you know, interactive brokers and all that, it's a race to the bottom with them. Robinhood, zero commissions, um, you know, no revenue in terms of commissions. Will that happen to the same crypto space? But by all intents and purposes, this thing is going to, you know, probably be up in excess of 50 to 100% tonight if you look at the wave of enthusiasm, you know. So we've set a price limit here. Um, so at a $250 reference point, we want to try to buy below 450 tonight. But if we don't get that filled, we won't be doing it. To give you some insight on what we're doing tonight. 
Oh, thank you for that. That is amazing insight. Uh, it's not the largest cryptocurrency in the exchange in the world. That would be Binance. But, you know, what did you and your team make of Coinbase's business model? I mean, its business has surged along with Bitcoin prices, but typical stock market metrics, price to earnings don't seem to make sense for the company yet. Yeah, I mean, they do highlight that some of their risks are, you know, Bitcoin and Ethereum dominates a lot of their trading, and that's where they got a lot of their revenue from. I mean, they are a very different company to what we were three, three to four years ago. I mean, three to four years ago, they had six or seven coins only listed. They now have a multiple of coins. My issue with the business model, mm. if I had to highlight one, was charges. So they charge like 3.95% for credit card um, transactions or investment charges. I think the average transaction cost for a, for a, for a trade is something like 0.55, which is quite expensive. So those price pressures will have to continually come down on the business, and that's where you justify the valuation going forward. But the question you need to ask yourself as an investor, is that coming in now? On the flip side, Michelle, is do you know traditional investors see this as an avenue to get some cryptocurrency exposure without buying you know a cryptocurrency which can be the volatility right and you know are we going to see a wave of new money come to cryptocurrency and the answer to that is yes so they should get an uplift on that being one that's listed and one of the largest exchanges in the world on the flip side if you look at the binance coin it's rallied very very well it's actually the third largest coin in the world now um before this and on the back of this IPO. So, you know, I don't want to say we're, we're, we're making it up as we go, but it's just mm. new things for the market to look at in this wave of this new asset class that we're seeing that continue as you grow. And every time I do a media thing, everybody always asks me about Bitcoin or Coinbase and that they have in the last couple of days. We can show you, you know, the, the um, you know, everybody's, everybody's talking about it. Well, thanks for giving us insight into your investment team strategy as well. Really appreciate that. It's a pivotal moment for cryptocurrencies. Six days ago, Peter Thiel, uh, himself a major investor in virtual currency ventures and crypto, called Bitcoin a Chinese financial weapon. He said the cryptocurrency may be undermining America and Thiel has urged the government to consider tighter regulations on cryptocurrencies. So, Jack, what do you make of Thiel's argument that Bitcoin threatens fiat money, but that it especially threatens the US dollar. Actually, I've got a question for you. Is it steel or teal? I don't know. I Listen, I'm making it up as I go along as well. I think it's steel. Is that okay? Because I've been calling you teal for a long time, so I apologize, Mr. Steel, uh, for that. <laughs> uh, I look like an idiot, don't I? Um, hopefully, I don't sound like an idiot. Co founder of PayPal. So he was at a conference, and the former US. Secretary of Defense, Mike Pompeo, was there. Um, and he has been a very big criticizer of Google and their work with the Chinese government. I think the point we need to understand is why he called it maybe a, 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 an arm of the Chinese government. And it goes back to our banking system, right? So in order to really do international business, you kind of need a Swiss or a U.S. bank, or predominantly a U.S. bank, to really do business, right? You know, it goes to the Swiss system, and the way the banking system works. And that can be a significant disadvantage, not only for countries, but you know, emerging superpowers like the Chinese. The other thing that the Chinese have always been upset about is the long arm of the US using that US dollar. You know, 90% of the world's transactions are in US dollars. Commodities are all priced in US dollars. 
um, and the banking system is based on a US banking system, using that long arm as a financial weapon against the Chinese, right? You know, things like bans and fines and, and removing them from certain areas. So that's always been an issue that the Chinese have had and some other issues have had. So his comment about Bitcoin is, well, you don't need a conventional banking system to transact with Bitcoin. So you and I right now, Michelle, if you wanted to you know, give me money mm-hmm. and I would welcome that, <laughs> you could send it to me through an electronic wallet, which, which bypasses banks. And that, you know, is seen as a bypass of the U.S. dollar system. So that's where his comments were. And to some extent, he's probably right. You know, they can now transact. I don't know if they're doing it or not, but without the basic U.S. dollar-based system. So it is, you know, this whole cryptocurrency thing or this blockchain, whatever you want to call it, is a negative for the U.S. dollar system because you can now bypass it. Now, you do, you do have to buy cryptocurrency with some fiat currency at some state. So you do have to enter that ecosystem. But that was the comment behind it. And, you know, sure, I mean, whether he's right or wrong about it being a weapon against the US dollar, it is a way for the Chinese and other currencies to bypass that traditional ecosystem that we've had. So, yes, you know, he's probably, he's probably right in, in some states there. All right. Speaking of China and cryptocurrency, uh, thousands of people over in China have been chosen by a lottery system, allowing them to spend their digital yen in both online and offline stores on an app on their phones. So the People's Bank of China has introduced its first blockchain-powered digital currency controlled by its central bank. This project took seven years to complete, according to reports. The digital yen is essentially government-sponsored virtual currency designed to trace all movements of money. And essentially, this means China has become the first major economy to roll out a digital currency, not the first country, because that would be the Bahamas Central Bank. So will Will China's digital currency, Jack, boost the yen's global presence? What does this mean for the yen? Yeah, so... Um, just on the digital yuan or the digital maybe that they've called it, their program is called DCEP. Um, so they've had, actually had four tests already in four cities in China. Um, they've spent over 300 million US dollars in over 4 million individual transactions. And they are, um, a combination of, you know, online through e-commerce and then even through physical restaurants and shops. Uh, so they continue to roll out the program as they go along. And from everything that I've read and watched, the feedback has been quite good in terms of the system. Mm-hmm. Um, it also runs under um, an RDF program, so you don't actually need an internet connection to transfer the yuan. And my understanding is some state-owned state employees are being paid in digital remember right now and are being asked to use that as they continue tests. The next move for them and when we talk about the internationalization of the Olympia, and I'll come back to that in a moment, Michelle, mm-hmm. is for them to start testing cross-border transactions. So my understanding is that they're entering into a test with the Hong Kong Central Bank and then possibly with the United Arab Emirates and Thailand to set up cross-border transactions mm-hmm. of exchange and currencies. Now, this goes back to our previous point of circumventing the US dollar system for them, right? You don't need it because... It's built on their own blockchain. You don't need a Swiss system or a U.S. banking Swiss-based system to do that. Now, 
going back a level, the Chinese have always wanted to increase the amount of renminbi that's circulating in the world. It's a significant advantage because you can print your own currency. Again, another advantage the US has had over other countries. But they haven't been able to do it. When we talk about world trade, roughly 15 to 20% is done by the Chinese, yet only 1% to 2% of that is exchanged in renminbi. So they haven't been able to do it. And they've been begging the Arabs for years now to allow them to purchase oil in renminbi, which they haven't been able to do. Here is an avenue for them to start to increase the circulation of renminbi. There's three major points that I can think they can do it. Because a lot of people talk about it, mm. but actually give you an avenue that they can do it. The first one is the Belt and Road Initiative. So this is this 2 to $6 trillion plan, depending on who you talk about, you know, rerouting the Silk Road and rerouting global trade. What they could do is make countries that are uh, part of the Belt and Road um, repay their payments through the digital uh, renminbi. They could also use infrastructure payments and do that through the uh, digital RMB. And they could also install POS systems all around that Belt and Road Initiative to increase circulation of that. Last year, they removed all transaction costs on 12 um, currencies. Again, moving towards making sure that people could exchange them in very closely. And the last thing they could do is they could use a large manufacturing base to start to force suppliers or merchandise to use the renminbi to transact with the largest single market in the world. And the last thing they could also do is it's very hard for international companies to get money out of China. I mean, they can get it out, but it's still a process. It takes through a lot of regulation. They could use that digital renminbi as an avenue to, you know, whoever it is, to get their money out of the China or their profits to use that blockchain system, which again could increase the use of the renminbi. And if you talk about China's long-term policy of dual circulation and being a consumption-based economy and moving away from being an export-driven economy, a higher use of the renminbi usually means an appreciation of that, which helps with that longer-term transition. And by having an alternative digital currency, you do set up a different ecosystem which could rival the US dollar-based system. They've got a long way to go, and they've got a lot of people to convince Mm. But this is, you know, the second or third step in a nine innings race to doing that. So a lot at play here for, for not only the Chinese but the rest of the world. Yeah, that messaging resonates with what we've heard from uh, China's central bank, uh, the country's central bank, saying it will expand cross-border use of its sovereign digital yen quote-unquote, when the time is right. And as you mentioned, technical testing already underway with Hong Kong. All right, let's switch gears uh, and take a look at the present chip shortage. Jack, it's putting a pinch on a lot of industries that need processing power. Uh, We like to help our listeners out who want to invest according to market trends. Is there there a safe ETF or is there an ETF that's caught your eye given the chip shortage? Yeah, um... Yeah, the chip shortage is incredible. I mean, chip, it's not, and we talk about the news is often about automobiles, um, but, you know, more mature chips, you know, I'm talking about like, when I say more mature, just less technologically innovative chips, there's a big shortage in those now. You know, things are just going to everyday electronics. Um, I still like the SMH, which is your semiconductor ETF listed in the US. It's very cheap to own, it's very cheap to hold. Um, I like this sector. I think this is a transitional play. This is still a long-term trend that's occurring. And the one thing that we need to understand about this is 
everything is moving electronic and everything is moving to the cloud or internet of things or, you know, the, the fourth industrial revolution. Right. And that all means some type of hardware to power it and that's a chip. And we talk about, you know, mobile phones, they all require chips or computers, they all require chips. And the demand for those is only increasing, Michelle. Right? We're upgrading things quicker. Um, the developing world is coming online and everything needs a chip. Chip is the new transport. It's the basis of all technology. It's what the trade war was fought over between the US and Chinese, um, which seems to be a distant memory right now. It's about pushing back their chip development. So if I had to phase or something, I would buy a broad-based ETF, like you said, and I really like the SMH, which is listed in the US, um, and it's quite cheap to own in terms of management fee, and the spread is quite um, narrow, so you know it doesn't cost too much to enter. But I really like this space going forward. So my answer is yes. Founder and director of VFS Group, always a joy speaking with you, Jack. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Michelle. And I want to say, I want to give you a congratulations on your interview with Vignesh. I'm going to pronounce his name very badly. Um, Sunaresan. On the digital art. Oh, thank you so much. Um, That was a great interview, great insight, and I'd like to congratulate you on that. Well done. Oh, thank you, Jack. Jack Cousy, founder and director of VFS Group, joining us on Money and Me. Before acting on the information on Money FM. Please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SBH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.